Welcome to the One O'ahu Podcast. I'm Brandi Higa, and today is Thursday, August 31st, 2023. And this week, uh, deviating from the normal schedule, we're actually recording this podcast from the island of Maui, um, working in the Joint Information Center. And I'm joined this week by Jeff Hickman. Most of the people that are listening know you from a lot of disasters in the past, public affairs for everything Haima. Um, Jeff, tell us your official title and what your role is this week. Sure, thank you for having me. Uh, it's an honor to be here. Um, Jeff Hickman, I'm the Director of Public Affairs for the State of Hawaii Department of Defense. So that includes the National Guard and Haima. So I do uh, assist them at any time for any public affairs issues. And yeah, like you said, uh, whenever there's disasters, uh, I come up. I wish it was more, I was up for good news, <laughs> but uh, I love working for Hawaii and sharing the word that uh, what's going on. And Jeff, for this particular um, incident, when did you arrive on island and kind of what's been your role here? Okay, well, uh, General Howard became the incident commander pretty early and that's my boss. So I worked at the State JIC uh, Joint Information Center on Oahu with the Hawaii EMA for about five days, but I arrived on Maui on Friday night. Um, and uh, it was rough, that first weekend was rough. Um, and this next week is more of the recovery efforts, but um, it's an honor to be here. I grew up on Maui and I wanted this mission. I wanted to assist Maui County and their Joint Information Center and really help any way I can Maui residents. Yeah, if you can kind of explain as much as you're comfortable with what that experience has been like for you since arriving here. And like you said, being a Maui boy, everything that you've had to deal with so far. Well, I was able to speak to some National Guardsmen who actually went in on the search and recovery. And we sent some public affairs in as well and uh, devastating they were uh, they were truly affected by what was there and you know i'm tired i'm working 12-hour days as you are too in the maui uh, public information office for uh, mayor bisson incredibly working hard but none of that matters because we're not affected you know i'm not mm -hmm. um my family's all safe my dad lives you know, in kahului i have uh, the best man at my wedding is a firefighter but he works in the eoc because he's an old fart <laughs> um but and just working hard, um, it doesn't matter because people have gone through so much more. And just walking on the street, people thanking you for being here. And you're like, oh, wow, thanks. But man, you guys have gone through so much. When that list came out, one of the things that went through everybody's mind in the Joint Information Center is, you know, it's a piece of paper and it has names and ages and uh, the person who turned in those names. But that list, every name is attached to a family and it's, and it's exponential. Mm -hmm. It belongs to family, friends, neighbors, people who don't even know that guy but seen him. Right. Um, they're all affected by it. So that list of 388 names uh, is, uh, that was one, probably one of the things that hit me the most was seeing that and just knowing how many more lives that that affects. Uh, and like you mentioned, um, DOD kind of also under your kuleana. So what are those guys doing right now? Well, we helped with the fire suppression very early on. The winds were so strong that first and second day, we were finally able to get up and they did, um, I think they said 189,000 gallons worth of water dropped on fire that um, in the, in two days. Huh. Um, and so they've assisted two more times since then with fire suppression from our Chinook helicopters. In fact, the recent one in Kaanapali, they did 10 drops as well, assisting the firefighters get that quick one under control. Uh, we've assisted with search and rescue, working with FEMA. We've assisted with um, the Maui Police Department and uh, the Maui Emergency Operations Center and Emergency Management with security in the areas. And, you know, sometimes you're you're seen as the bad guy because you got residents who want to go in and we're standing in line with MPD. But we know that if people go in, it's, it's unsafe at this time. And we really wanted just to share that is that it is unsafe. 
the toxins in there, the asbestos. Uh, those are all wooden buildings. There's a lot of toxicity in the in the debris and in the um, ash. And so we're telling people not to go in. Our guys go in with full PPE, and then they de decontaminate their outfits when they come out. Mm -hmm. um, and they just they talk about just everything they see and everything they smell, and they know that people want to get in, but uh, the time is just not yet. But it, it should be soon. I want to tell on that everything they see, everything they smell. Um, what's being made available for them? Kind of what are you telling your guys in terms of making sure that they're okay, right? So much emphasis on mental health these days. What what are you doing for, for those guys to make sure they're okay? Yeah, to give a little background on that, you know, a lot of our soldiers are trained on field artillery and uh, cavalry scouts, you know, looking for bad guys and maneuvering and trying to find an advantage over an enemy on a battlefield. That's our federal mission. Our state mission is to assist Hawaii. So you're taking artillerymen and cavalry slash infantry soldiers, and then you even have airmen who work on C-17 aircraft, but they're assisting at this time uh, during security and the search and rescue. The search and rescue people know that after some of their training that they may have to see a dead body, um, extract them from a structure, uh, and in this case, find them uh, in fire destruction. So they prepared as much as they could, but once they saw it and they've experienced it, uh, we knew right away. We brought in chaplains and counselors because uh, they're, they're affected. In fact, come, some of them even changed their meals to vegetarian. And it's, you know, so it's affected their lives. Yeah, yeah. And this is gonna be a long-term. Honestly, Maui has a lot of stuff to, to do. Yeah. A lot of recovery, a lot of uh, pain, and you know, they haven't even started burying people yet. And then you look at the, the first responders, the PD, the fire department, FEMA, search and rescue, those all those federal assets. Um, we're gonna have to think of a plan to take care of them. It's, uh, it's gonna be long-term um, counseling and just and talking things through, but they've seen some of the worst things they've seen in their life right here on Maui. And also part of your title, public affairs, right? So you also deal with the public. Um, right now, what are those questions like? What kind of questions are they asking you um, that you're having to kind of go through right now? You know what, I'm gonna, I'm gonna mention a good one first because there's a whole bunch of uh, ones where people are having issues. But this good one, we just got one saying that uh, National Public Radio uh, interviewed a man his first name is Trip, and he was in, in the Lahaina affected area, but his house survived. And the question was, why did his house survive? Was it luck? Mm. And you think about that, the lava, why does it go around certain buildings? Why did the fire not affect the church that's in that area mm -hmm. as much mm -hmm. as it did everything else? Mm -hmm. um, so we get some of those requests too. Those are real feel good ones. Yeah. Anytime you can actually help someone and share a good story. But we get the following, you know, when can I go in? Um, uh, how can I get resources is a big one. And that sets that really, um, and you too, um, you get to share that yeah. with people is the resources and the amount of money that's made available since the president signed that proclamation, the state level, the county, all these organizations coming in. Another good story. I have a, um, a commitment classmate. He lives on this island. Um, him and his family told me, spent 30 minutes telling me about working a shelter at their church and how they'd have tourists come in and, and residents in the very early days because they had nowhere else to go. They weren't an American Red Cross certified shelter, but they took people in. People gave everything that they needed. They started to give money. They taught them ukulele lessons at night, how to weave lays, um, and just 
the Lord Spirit really came out, and those people were only there for a couple of days, and they moved on. Um, but they got to share what they a little bit of Hawaii with them. And these hotel, uh, the tourists, they were affected. They, some of them lost everything, and they were here on vacation that they saved up for. And the job of Maui was to a take them, get them to a safe place, and then get them home. Then for the residents, take them, put them into a shelter, maybe a temporary hotel, um, and then get them back on their feet. And so. You know, utilizing those resources, which on Maui is pretty slim, but uh, it's a feel-good story. Just a lot. There's a lot of great stories out there. And there's good and bad, and I think we can learn from both of them. Yeah, and you know, on the other end, right? So that's that's helping to distribute resources or helping to make sure people um, are receiving that. But what about the giving end? Because a lot of people on Oahu have that question, right? Well-intentioned. A lot of donation drives came up with food and clothes, um, but there wasn't exactly the organization or, or the you know the structure in place to get that out. What's the best way people on Oahu can help with the situation here on Maui? Yeah, you know what? Um, that one's kind of a good one too. It's, it's, uh, sometimes it was, it was a good thing to have too much, right? Yeah, that means yeah. so many people wanted to give. Um, and in the beginning, they did need everything, but uh, now they just need money. Yeah. Um, and the word unprecedented gets thrown around a lot. The fire was unprecedented. The response and the devastation, unprecedented. The, the aloha shown survivors and families who were affected, unprecedented. The amount of donations, insane. Yeah, yeah. We have all these organizations working together just out of the woodwork. But yeah, now is the time to give money. And they can do it uh, via the Hawaii Community Foundation, MauiNuiStrong.org, I think it is. Um, but money right now is the best way to get people back on their feet. And Jeff, we talked about kind of the mental health and making sure that, you know, everyone else that you're dealing with is okay. But for you, I mean, like you said, every time there's a disaster, it's kind of like you're there. How do you handle this? What's the best way for you to get centered? Uh, you know what? It's uh, mixing mixing the, the positive stories with what actually happened. You know, hearing some of those and the uplifting and inspiring uh, stories, whether it be um, a survivor or, you know, a survivor reuniting with his animal. That's a good one. Or somebody who uh, lost their restaurant, but they're still feeding people 9,000 meals a day out of a truck, you know, and that's actually happening. Hearing those, that, that's how I treat all the negative and, and the devastation that we've been presented with. Uh, you see the drone footage, and I've, I, I don't think I could take it going there yet. I'm kind of a crybaby. But uh, the drone footage and just seeing it, it is. It's a war zone, and I don't think I would be able to to walk many steps before tears came down and and that doesn't help Maui. So what helps Maui is what I, the only thing I can do is assist getting resources out, getting correct information out. Um, people who have wrong information, uh, helping them find facts mm -hmm. and real information, um, you know, helping uh, solve the myths and put out rumors on social media. So that's, that's my job and I feel really good doing it. Um, it's bad, but I think I'm good at it. Because of lava, uh, Mayor Kim at the time, 2018, in 2014, lava, uh, Hurricane Lane, uh, all those times the, the county and state levels worked really well together and they have given me the opportunity to assist and I do. I find myself, the way I cope with it is with the good news. And is there anything that we missed that you want folks to know about? Uh, you know what is uh, help Maui any way you can. If you can give, give. If you can... Uh, um, assist in some physical way, whether it may be in the rebuilding process, which is coming down the road, mm -hmm. or visiting Maui and going up country, going to northern western Maui, Kaanapali, Kapalua. Still, um, there's businesses there that are hurting. A lot of them lost their jobs in Lahaina, but there's still things going on in that area. Um, you know, do, so do a little bit of research, uh, come down, stay on Maui, 
um, buy their, their pastries, their manju. <laughs> oh my gosh, the food here is incredible. Um, but yeah, I would say any way you can help, help. And the cleanup in the next stages are going to be coming. So is to stay out of the way of the residents and the first responders and um, the de debris removal and let them get to the next step. So I'm asked, I would say a little bit of patience, but support Maui any way you can. Well, Jeff, first of all, thank you for your service. I know you're doing very important work. I see you in there every day. Um, number two, thank you for your time. Because like you said, because we are answering all of these questions in the JIC, um, we were only able to step up for 15 minutes. But Jeff, thank you so much. Thank you, Brandy. And we're also joined this week by John Heggie. And John, you're with CAL FIRE. So tell us exactly what that is, who you are, and why CAL FIRE is here. Yes. Uh, yep. So I'm John Hagee. I work for CAL FIRE, uh, also known as California Department of Forestry. But we really call it CAL FIRE back in California. We are an all-risk fire agency, but we also specialize in incident management. And so this is one of the things we do is we have six incident management teams back in California with about approximately 55 people that have different disciplines from finance to logistics to operations, planning, safety. So we really come with a full suite of employees when there's an emergency. So when the incident happened here in Maui, you know, there was a thought process of what can we do to help and the, the, the governors uh, of the, both states were able to make some communications and uh, however that happened, we were able to be ordered and hopefully that we've been able to come here and, and assist them as best we can. Yeah, and what kind of ways have you folks been able to provide guidance, provide that subject matter expertise? Yeah, unfortunately in California we're no uh, stranger to large-scale emergencies, tragic events, which is what has happened here. So, you know, we have some of that, that real-time, real-life experience with large-scale incidents and, and dealing with these type of disasters. Uh, outside of wildfires, we've done different types of disaster response, whether it be the mudslides or, or other different things in, in California, COVID-19 as an example. So we utilize those incident management teams we take that, that, that big problem, break it into small pieces, and to be able to utilize the best people in the best positions to do the best work that they can. How does this incident compare, and how are you able to kind of deal with this one personally? Because every disaster is different, and I imagine this one is particularly hard for you to respond to as well. They're all very difficult, especially when there's large loss of life, which has happened here. So it's tragic, and our heart really goes out to the community here. It's it's devastating. There's no other way to say it. And uh, you know what we feel is you know we are part of of the, of the family here, and we want to you know treat this as if this was an incident that happened in our backyard. So we have you know a vested interest to do the best job we can to ensure we're providing the highest level of service and to really assist everybody in the community this is what we call this is a full team effort it takes all of us and, and really you know we have the experience unfortunately through through tragedies we've had in the past but we'll be able to use those skills and knowledge and experience to come here and help you know prop up some of the people that have never dealt with this you know Maui has never had a wildfire that's devastated a community quite to this level so lean on the people that have done it and that's what they did and we're here to help announced earlier this week the transition to the next phase of getting out some of that hazardous material to make it safe for Lahaina residents to return. What does that mean? Yeah, so this is a challenge because, you know, everybody wants 
things happen very quickly, but there's a thoughtful process that goes into all these type of evolutions and, and all these emergencies. We've dealt this with in, in California and we're dealing with it here. People want us to move very fast, but we want to do it with purpose and we want to do it correct the first time. So where we're at now is the, the search has is, is been completed for the most part. We're still having some other areas where we're searching a little bit, but uh, uh, now we're starting to transition to what that next phase is. And the next phase is, is we're using the EPA uh, to come in and just to, to collect the hazardous materials, things that are in the fire area that are unsafe for people to be exposed to. So we can't let people back into their properties with having potential hazardous materials that they would be exposed to. So what they're going to do is they're going to be a light hand on the or light hand on the land and come and remove those things out. So when we go to the point where we can allow people back into their their properties, that it's safe for them to do so. So, so it's really kind of uh, the first step in, in that recovery. Like Jeff Hickman. You yourself are stationed in the Joint Information Center, along with myself. Um, so with that information, what kind of information are you putting out right now? What ways are you helping the community kind of put all this together? Yeah, so what we did yesterday in a press conference is kind of laid out that plan of what the what the road to recovery is and, and rebuilding, you know, what was once a gorgeous, you know, jewel of the state. And and really it's a step-by-step -step process. It, it, it's, 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 you know, first off we did that very extensive search to look for people that have perished. And that search will continue to go on throughout this whole process. And now we are going to start the process of removing some of those hazardous materials. And then from that point, we'll be able to inspect the buildings that are, that are still standing and make sure that they're tenable for people to go back into. And then red tag the ones that are not to so make sure that people don't put themselves in harm's way. And at that point, then we're going to be able to allow the people back in, uh, you know, barring any other unforeseen issues right. that come up in between now and then. And that'll give some people some closure, which would be great you know to be able to have that you know that tie back to the property hopefully hopefully find some semblance of what was there before whether it be a memento something that possibly survived you know we would love for that to be you know a, a common occurrence as they go through the, their, their properties to find at least something that ties it back to where they were before and, and then at that point then we'll start removing some of the materials with with guidance from cultural advisors right. to ensure that we're not doing anything that is uh, disruptive to any cultural sensitivities and, and really cultural sensitivities will be throughout this whole process even from the EPA portion where there will be advisors on hand it will be throughout this whole process and then getting that property back to a point of rebuilding and then however that's going to look for each individual. So you mentioned the press part of it I know you've been advising on kind of that public messaging but what about the questions coming in from the community what are you seeing there? You know it's really a mixed bag obviously people want to be back in their home as soon as possible so for me you know I look at this from a human side you know what can I tell them to reassure them that people are all here constantly working to get them to what they want and get them back to some semblance of of a normal life it'll never be like it was before obviously with a tragedy but giving them kind of some guidance of what the next steps look like let them know that people are all working tirelessly to get them back into their homes and, or into their to, to their properties so they can try to start that rebuilding process and it's just a reassurance really more than anything it's, it's getting them to understand what the process is and how long that process takes 
And we've seen it from all over. I imagine you hear it too from those in California. They want to help. On Oahu, everyone wants to help. What's your message to them? How can they help? You know, there's lots of different avenues. You know, obviously this is a tragedy for the people and the people of Lahaina, the people of Maui, and, and people of, of the United States and the world for the most part. It's it's a jewel of the world. So uh, it's when people think of Hawaii, they really do think of Lahaina. Mm -hmm. uh, it's that and probably Honolulu are the two top things that come to people's minds. So it's really a top of mind and top of heart for people. And there's numerous platforms where people could donate either time or resources uh, to be able to assist the, the people of, uh, of, of Maui because not only is there just Lahaina, but there was another community that was devastated uh, in a separate uh, area basically the same day um, that those people are still in need of assistance as well. So any of that assistance that's going to come in through those different channels is going to help the people of Maui, which is going to be an amazing, you know, it doesn't make up for what they lost, but it helps them to, on that road to recovery. And Heggy, when did you personally get on island? How long are you folks expected to be here? Unfortunately, all my days are blurring together. <laughs> Let's see. I think the 14th, 15th, somewhere in there. And it's hard to miss the guys in the Cal Fire shirts. You know, for those that yes. maybe aren't aware who are on other islands, there's a lot of them. How many Cal Fire folks are here? Yeah, we just, you know, like I said before, our incident management teams are of a group of about approximately 60 people of highly skilled levels of each individual job. And we brought in a little bit of extra assistance, so we're just short of 70 people on this deployment. And oh. and each person comes, you know, with an expertise in each um, discipline of emergency management and so for me you know I, I, I come with a public information background mm -hmm. so my goal is to to be able to give people information and really the community the information the best I can working with the Maui County government right. you know we're really not here to to run this we're here to, to prop up our brothers and sisters here in Maui to try to get them to a point where you know they understand this process because they've never dealt with a large-scale community burning and truthfully no, not a lot of people in the United States have. Mm. So this would be a challenge, not just for Hawaii. This would be a challenge for, for somebody in Arkansas or Utah or, or Minnesota. This is not unique. The what the challenges that the community are here and the, and the leaders here are dealing with right. because this is unprecedented. It's, it's not, it's not a very common experience. Unfortunately, we've dealt with it a lot in California, though. And folks that look at you, maybe they don't recognize you, um, you know, in the EOC. But it says Cal Fire on your chest. But I know that if you go a little deeper in your heart, it probably reads Hawaii because you have a Hawaii tie. Yes, tell I, us tell us about that. I have a couple Hawaii ties. Actually, uh, my grandfather was stationed here for a number of years, and he was the military chief of police in Honolulu back in the fifties and sixties. Um, my parents were first married here in Hawaii, and my dad, mom, and dad were stationed here. And then the biggest tie I have at this moment is my daughter is a graduate student at UH. So uh, you know I do have ties to Hawaii, and it's it, I, I understand the uh, the beauty of the the Ohana here and seeing it firsthand. It's truly and it's, it's, it's so impressive and being exposed to how the people have really gathered together and, and, and shown that family, you know, from an outsider, the only word that comes to mind is beautiful. Well, thank you for your time. Thank you for your service here. And I know that we have about 15 minutes, you know, in our breaks that we can step out of the jig. <laughs> yes. We do need to get back to work. So I do thank you for your time. Thank you very much.
And thank you for listening to the One Oahu podcast. If you have a question for Heggy, Jeff Hickman, Mayor Rick Blangiardi, or anyone in the city and county of Honolulu, you can enter your podcast questions on our One Oahu page as oneoahu.org slash podcast. Until next time, aloha. Aloha.